Let's get started. All right, so, um, okay. So, um, Rabbi Yaakov Bender is a, uh, is a Rosh Hashiva in, in Farakaway. So he told a story that he was one time on a plane, and uh, he's sitting next to, like, I forget if he says it was a minister or some very religious uh, non-Jewish individual. I think they were Catholic. Maybe even been a minister. And, and he's just sitting there quietly. He has like, you know, a very long beard. He looks very much like a rabbi. So he, uh, and he takes out his chumash at some point to like learn. And so the person notices and says to him, You're Jewish? So he says, yes. He says, do you have Shabbat? And he says, uh, yeah. He says, you mean the Shabbat where like, like the father comes home and the children are all dressed all nice and the table set and there's like this aura of like light in the house and it's like so beautiful and it's like this amazing experience. And he's like, yeah, yeah, like that. I have like that, you know. And, and he's like, right, we all like laugh at that because that's what we hope or maybe we thought maybe when we first started having Shabbos in our own homes, right? Like what Shabbos is going to look like. And then you hit life, and you realize what Shabbos starts to really look like. Um, and Shabbos doesn't look like the way maybe we thought um, once in our dreams the Shabbos table or the Shabbos experience might look like in our homes. Um, and that's okay, because that's real. So what I, what I thought we would do uh, over the next few weeks um, is talk about how to make Shabbos, how to, how to, I would say how to manage Shabbos in the real way, uh, but how to make the most of Shabbos in a real way. Um, and specifically today, tonight, to talk about, I'm not gonna, t- I, I'm probably not gonna tell you anything you don't know already because you, you know, everybody in this room has kept Shabbos, you know, for, for many years. Um, but hopefully to talk about some of the elements and ways that we view Shabbos, maybe a little bit in a different light, and in a way that it can become, um, practically a more meaningful, a more meaningful time for us. So if you start in source number one, Source number one is, uh, if you haven't seen this book, The Gift of Rest, uh, Senator Lieberman wrote this book a number of years ago. Um, and just in the beginning of the book, he tells a very interesting story. We don't have to read the entire thing, but he, he points out that it was a Friday night and he had been caught late at the Capitol because he had to vote. Voting is done in those days, at least still you know, manually. He didn't have to do any, any malacha to vote, but he had to vote. Um, there's some tax bill. And so but he has to get home. So to walk from, from the Capitol back to his home, I guess he lives, his house is in, in Georgetown or somewhere around there. So he has to walk a four and a half mile walk. So he says like this, he said, uh, I'm walking from the Capitol to my home in Georgetown getting absolutely soaked. A United States Capitol policeman is at my side as we make our way up Pennsylvania Avenue from the Capitol building toward our distant goal of four and a half mile walk. Before leaving my Senate office, I changed into sneakers, but now they are full of water. As we slosh, slosh forward, a Capitol police car travels alongside for extra security at a stately pace. But I do not, indeed I cannot, accept a ride in the car. What accounts for this strange scene? The presence of the two policemen is easily explained. As the Senate sergeant-at-arms who oversees the Capitol police once said to me, Senator, if something happens to you on my watch, while you're walking home, it'll be bad for my career. So that's why the police are with me. But why am I walking instead of riding on a rainy night? Because it's Friday night, the Sabbath, the day of rest when observant Jews like me do not ride in cars. That would violate the letter and spirit of the Sabbath laws, 
as the Bible, and he, he talks more about the halachos of Shabbos. And if you look on the, on the, right next to it, he, he adds, I've taken this long walk from the catapult to my home on 30 or 40 occasions in my 22-year senatorial career. And he talks about how he'd have conversations with the police officers, and sometimes that was great, and sometimes it's a, it's a pain in the neck. And he said on this, on this particular evening, he didn't feel particularly inspired by his observance of Shabbos. Rather, he felt pretty frustrated by it, walking home in the pouring rain. But then he talks about why he wrote this book. And if you look down in the third paragraph, he writes, For me, the Sabbath observance is a gift, because it's one of the deepest, purest pleasures in my life. It's a day of peace, rest, and sensual pleasure. When I said the Sabbath is sensual, I meant that it engages the senses, sight, sound, taste, smell, and touch, with beautiful settings, soaring melodies, wonderful food and wine, and lots of love. It's a time to reconnect with family and friends, and of course with God, the creator of everything we have time to sense on the Sabbath. Sabbath observance is a gift that has anchored, shaped, and inspired my life. And he talks more in that, in that piece about how even though there are restrictions on Shabbos, that the restrictions of Shabbos have kind of freed him to use Shabbos in a, in a more, as a more meaningful day. And the one last piece I want you to see as we, as we move along is the last paragraph in the whole thing, where he writes as follows, Hadass and I sometimes speak of a place beyond time called Shabbatland. In many ways, the Sabbath is an entirely different place from the one which we live our weekday lives. It's a place away from clocks and watches bound only by the natural movements of the sun. Whether I'm spending Shabbos in Washington, D.C. or in my hometown of Stamford, Connecticut, entering the Shabbos is like stepping into a different world, defined not by geographical boundaries, but by faith, tradition, and spirituality. Um, what I liked about this piece is I find it interesting to listen to someone who is an observant Jew, I think most of his life, uh, talk to the, the world at large about Shabbos in a way that I think a lot of us can relate. I think we relate to, many of us relate to Shabbos in this way. But I don't think we think of Shabbos in this way on Friday at 4.45, right? No matter what time Shabbos is. Um, I just don't, we don't talk, we don't think about Shabbos like this, we don't talk about Shabbos like this, I don't at least. Um, and, and I think I, what, I wanna, what I wanna do for a little bit is talk about not the halachos of Shabbos, not why we have an Isra Malacha, and not why we have certain Shabbos clothes and certain Shabbos, that's not what I wanna talk about tonight. What I wanna talk about tonight is the framework and the um, structure that those halachos create for us and what the focus then of the day and the night are supposed to be for us. Um, and, I, and I really want you to help me because um, you're gonna, you know, I'm, I'm, I, these, are, these are issues with which I struggle um, a lot, trying to keep Shabbos and make Shabbos a, uh, a meaningful day in my home. Um, I, I work on Shabbos, <laughs> um, <laughs> the irony, right? Um, so I, I struggle a lot with trying to keep Shabbos like this special day for my family. Um, uh, we'll talk more about that as we move along. But I, you know, I'm interested to hear what you do, how you, elements, ways that you think um, you're able to kind of maintain a certain, a certain consciousness of Shabbos, which we'll talk about, and we'll talk about some of the struggles also. But so let's just get started from the beginning. What, what's Shabbos really about? Why do we keep Shabbos? What is the reason why we're supposed to keep Shabbos, according to the Torah? Basics. I'm not asking nothing fancy. Basics. Rest. Rest, okay. Okay, why, why do we quote rest on Shabbos? And I'm like, yeah, because God, God rested on Shabbos? Okay, what does that really mean? Does it not, it's not because God rested on Shabbos. That's not true, right? That's what we, our, our kids say, right? We don't rest on Shabbos, Hashem rested on Shabbos. But we rest on Shabbos because we recognize that God created the world in six days, right? When we stop 
stop being creative on Shabbos, it's a testimony, right? In fact, that's what we do in Vayachulu. That's why many people have the minhag to stand when they say Vayachulu, either in shul and, and at home. Uh, when they say Vayachulu HaShemayim Ba'aretz V'chol Tzva'am, it's supposed to be a testimony, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that Hashem created the world in six days, and then on the seventh day He rested. But it's not about the seventh day that He rested. It's about the fact that, he, that God created the world. Shabbos is that testimony. It's the Eidos. It's that we say, we recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the creator, and therefore we don't create, right? But we recognize Hashem is creator. Great. That's wonderful. Why do we also mention then Zeichel Etzias Mitzrayim? What does we say that in Kiddush also? We say Zeichel Amas Eparishis. Shabbos is a remembrance of, of, of the creation of the world. It's also Zeichel Etzias Mitzrayim. Why do we mention Etzias Mitzrayim also? Shabbos didn't happen. Etzias Mitzrayim happened on Shabbos. What? Okay. Okay, so there's a, some type of reference back to, to what happened in Egypt. We're actually going to talk about that in a little bit. Right, right. And actually, Senator Lieberman actually mentioned this in his, first, in, in his intro also, right? That, that, uh, that Shabbos has two elements. There's God as creator, but creator can walk away. Right? There's God as creator, but T.S. Mitzrayim is God as the one who remains involved all the time, right? So we have both elements of that in the Kiddush, because Shabbos is supposed to be not just a day that we sit back and say, hey, God created the world once, but that we recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a part of our life every single day. Fine, that's, that's the general way we talk about Shabbos. But I want to show you two um, pieces in Chazal, um, which I find very meaningful in terms of understanding the goal of Shabbos, not just the why of Shabbos, not just the what do we do on Shabbos? But the, the goal of Shabbos. So take a look in sources number two and three. Sources number two and three take you back to a couple of parshios ago. When Am Yisrael are in Egypt and, and uh, Moshe comes in, he tells them, here we go, it's time to leave. Hashem is going to take you out. And how do people respond? Actually, source number three. How do people respond? They go and they gather everybody. And, and Aaron says all the things that God told him. This is the first time they're coming to meet Am Yisrael. He shows them all the, mir- all the signs. He puts his hand in his, in his shirt and becomes Saras. He, all the things that, he, that, he, that Hashem sent him to tell them. And the people believed in them. And they heard that Hashem was ready to take Bnei Israel out of Mitzrayim. And Yom, he sees how hard it is for them. And they bow down. Move just a few. Truck them later. Source number two. Sorry, I put them out of order. And what happens? Moshe and Aaron have already showed up. They've already showed up. They've talked to Paro. Paro says no. Things get worse. Right? Paro makes it worse. And what happens now? And all of a sudden now, the people don't want to hear it. So the simple shot is, they don't want to hear it because things got harder since they showed up. So why am I going to listen to you now? But if you think about it, if they really believed before, what, what changed? They believed they were coming out of Mitzrayim. So what all of a sudden now, now they don't believe anymore intellectually? They can't, they can't understand it anymore? So look at the Medrash in source number four. The Medrash in source number four says something wild. So Paro said about the people, Alkein heim so akim. Why are, they, why are the people starting to complain and fetch and starting to say, let us out of Mitzrayim? Because they have too much free time on their hands. 
So what am I going to do? Tichbara havada on Lashim. Make it harder for them. Says the Medrash, Melamed, Shahayu biyada migilos. Shahayu mishta'ashin bahem mishabis lashabis. Says the Medrash, the Jewish people in Mitzrayim had certain texts. Megillos, they had certain texts with them. Okay? Lomar Shakarash Baruchu Goalan. It said in those scrolls, I don't know who wrote them, these scrolls that had something written in them that the people could read on Shabbos, that Hashem would take them out of Mitzrayim. And how did they know that? How did they know that? How did they know that God was going to take them out of Egypt? God had promised Avraham, their great great grandfather, what? They had a Masara. They knew. Mo- Yosef told them. Right? And Yosef, if your, Yosef dies, he tells the brothers, Pakodi of Kedalokim, Asham Hashem is going to take you out and, and, and take my bones out. I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. Right? So they, they had a Masara. They knew this wasn't forever. They didn't, may not have known exactly how long it was going to be. They didn't like, I heard 430, some said 400, some said 210. Like, they didn't like, I don't know if they knew that. But they, they knew they were going to get out at some point. Right? So they, so they, and they had it, in fact, something in writing. Says the Medrash. They had something ready. And so what good was that for them? Because they didn't work on Shabbos, says the Medrash. Originally. The Medrash says, what did Paro say? Now you're going to work on Shabbos. Before you weren't going to work on Shabbos, now you're working on Shabbos. And part of what Paro added to them at that time was that they were now going to work on Shabbos. Okay? And if they're working on Shabbos, what are they not going to have time to do? Read those scrolls that, said, that, that reminded them that they were going to leave. Okay? Take a look at an Emerson Yaakov in source number 6. Yaakov Hemineski says something, says something wild. So he quotes the fact that he believes and there are other Gemaras that point to the idea that the, the Mizmor that's read on Shabbos, Mizmor Shil Yom HaShabbos, was written by Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, we're going to see another message that says that someone else wrote it. That Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it. Okay. And he argues that perhaps, what did the people read in Mitzrayim? That was one of the Megillahs was Mizmor Shil Yom HaShabbos. Okay. But I'll ask you, what does it say? Sorry, go back for one second. What, what, what does Mizmor Shil Yom HaShabbos have to do with Shabbos? Take a look at it. Source number five. Hebrew and English. Mizmor Shil Yom HaShabbos. Tov lehodos l'ashem l'azamei l'shimcha yom l'hagi b'boker chastecha l'minas chavaleilos. It's good to praise the Lord, to sing hymns to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your steadfast love at daybreak. Magalu ma'asecha Hashem ma'od. What does this have to do with Shabbos? Have you noticed that? We said many times on Shabbos. What does it do with Shabbos? Zero. It has nothing to do with Shabbos. It doesn't talk about Shabbos at all. It starts Mizmor Shili Yom Shabbos and says nothing about Shabbos. Absolutely nothing. What does it talk about? What's the theme? Praise. What's Lahagid Baboker Chastecha Ve'amunas Chavalelos? What's that talking about? A tefillah. Yeah, when? Morning and night. And morning and night represents what typically in, in, in Tehillim? Morning is Shacharis or when things are good. Right? And Lailos are when things are bad. Right? It's, it's a declaration of Amunah, is what Mizmur Shalem is all about. Right? It's a declaration that Kharish right? 
that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always there for us. Lagi ki ashar Hashem suri Right, to recognize that Hashem is always there. Right? Hashem is always there. He's always right. Right? Take a look at the Embassy Yaakov. He says like this. Right at the top there. He says, If the tachlis kavanas hamizmor hula hagi ki ashar Hashem suri v'lo The purpose of that mizmor is to say that Hashem is always there. Vim kein eintu kavanas Hashem. That doesn't sound like Shabbos. Right? Well, I don't understand. He says, this is one of the Gilas they read in Mitzrayim. Okay. Right? So he says that originally they had gotten this day off and that they chose Saturday, they chose Shabbos, and then they had this opportunity. But after he asked them to go, Gazer Aleim Shiyasu Avodosam Gam B'Shabbos, Kedesh Lo Yuchlu Lishtasheb Migilosem. So he shouldn't be able to read these Megillos. And the next paragraph he says, Vacharei Ha'iyo Nir Lir Dimekevan Shematzinir Shemizmor Shiv Yom Hashabbos Moshe Rabbeinu Amro. So since Moshe wrote it, like it says in Rashi in, in Baba Basra. Right, and when was it? And he says, right, the whole question is, right? Things are so bad. And when was this when was it such a difficult thing for them to handle? When they were living in Mitzrayim, living in Egypt, in uh, the desert, and they had, were surrounded by Anayah Kavod, that wasn't a question for them. It wasn't a tr- trouble for them. Right? That's when it was hard. Right? When they saw what was going on in Egypt, that's when they suffered. Amuna was difficult for them. He says, so what was the purpose of these Megillos? He says, they read it in Mitzrayim because Shabbos for B'nai Yisrael in Mitzrayim was an opportunity to reflect and to know that they were going to leave Egypt. When that was taken away from them, what happens? Right? Once they have Shabbos taken away, they no longer have a day of reflection, a day to focus on what really matters to them. And once they can't do that, then they can't do anything and they become paralyzed. And that's what changed from the first, when they first believe, and they no longer believe. Again, whether you take this as fact, that this is, they really, these were the Megillos, and that's really what happened, or even if not. Right, the, the power of that Medrash is that what was the goal in Mitzrayim, right, the goal in Mitzrayim of Shabbos? It was a day to reflect on what really meant. And when they had the, the day to reflect, it powered them throughout the week. It powered them into everything else they believed and what mattered to them and the things they could hold on. Really, he wants to argue Amuna. And for them, Amuna was solidified because they had a day to sit and talk about it. A day to have a conversation. Well, do you think we're really going to leave? I don't know. It says we're going to leave. I don't know about that. But, if, but when you're working all day and all night, you don't even have time for that conversation. You don't even have time to talk about it and to think about it. And that's why Rishrab argues that the, the, the danger, what happened to Amishra at that time, was when Shabbos was taken from them and what they did on Shabbos, right? the learning on Shabbos, the conversation on Shabbos, then they lost. Then they have no opportunity to reboot, to think, to, to dream, to hope. It's taken away from them. I want to take you to one other piece. 
Okay, one of the pieces that talks, makes a similar but a little bit different point. Look at source number seven. We find this also well before there was any Jewish people, before there was any concept of Shabbos. So Cain and Hevel also. Cain and Hevel fight. Cain kills Hevel. What happens to Hevel? He gets punished. He's banished from the, he's banished from HaKadosh Baruch. And what's his punishment? Source number seven. In Pasuk Yud Beis, what Hashem says to Hevel, Ki to Cain, Ki What are you going to do? You're going to wander the world. You're going to wander around. Kain. That's going to be your punishment. And what does what does Kain say to Hashem? By Yomer Kain al Hashem, Gadol Avonimin. So I can't handle that punishment, having to wander around. You've you've kicked me out of the land. We panecha esater, and I and I'm I'm sent away from your face. I'm going to be hidden. You're going to be hidden from me, God. Vayisi nav nav ba'aretz. I'm going to wander around and if I'm just walking around, whoever's going to find me is going to kill me. So what does God do? God gives Cain something. Someone kills you, bad news for them. God gives Cain a sign. What was the sign? What was the sign? Oh, so we're going to see the Sivar Shalom is going to say that. But what, 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 other, what other, other answers what the O's was? Anybody know? Some say he had a Vav on his head. A Vav. Why a Vav? Because a Vav is always a Chibor. Vav teaches you to connect to others. Kanye didn't understand that. So some say he, got a, he had a Vav branded on him. So you should always remember Vav always, right? Vit. The word Vav. The Vav always connects. But the Sivar Shalom says something totally different. The Sloan of Rebbe quotes the following Medrash. Look at the Medrash in source number eight. The Medrash says like this. Source number eight. Rabbi Chama b'shem Rabbi Chanide bar Rabbi Yitzchak Amar Yatsa Sameach. So Cain walks out. He leaves Hashem and he's actually happy. He leaves that conversation with God and he's, he's, he feels good. Okay. And what happens? Pagabo Adam Arishon. So like, I don't know how many other people are in the world. But Cain and Adam Arishon are walking on the street and they, they happen to bump into each other. And what happens? Amalei, man nasev ad Cain. How'd it go with the Rebona Sholem? How did, how, did, how did it go? What did God say? Did you win the arbitration? So Amalei, a sisi tshuva v'nisbasharti. He says, I did tshuva. And I made a compromise with God. I made a compromise. Hischa adma risho mitapeach apanav. All right, know that, that emoji? It comes from adma risho. The face emoji, right? He hit himself in the head. That's what it says. He hit himself in the head. On the face. Amar, kachi kocha shal tshuva. He says, oh, that's the power of tshuva. I never knew about it. Why should he know about it? He's the first person. He wouldn't have known. He said, I didn't think he knew tshuva. He gets up and he says, A very, very strange measure. What, what, is that? what does that mean? That Cain got a pshara, he got a compromise. What does it mean that he was happy about it? And what is Adma Rishon? Uh, that's tshuva, and what does that have to do with Shabbos? So in the Siva Shalom in source number two, the Salam Rabbi says something very, very beautiful. It says like this. He says, what's going on here? He says, Yeshloma ha-kavana apima shapirish maran the Rebbe Miluchavich, who said what? What does it mean, hein gerash to osi hayom mi'apne adama? Umi panach esoteri. 
Cain says, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm banished from the land. He's not banished from the land. He's going to walk around the land. He's, going to, he, he's not allowed to work the land anymore. He's a, he's a wanderer now. He doesn't have his own land. Okay. But what does that really mean? And I'm hidden from your face. But you see, so what was Kain saying to Hashem? Now that I, that I messed up, I can't hang out with you anymore, God. I can't, I'm not going to be able to have these conversations with you. You're banishing me. I'm going to be a wanderer in the world. Now he's going to leave anywhere else. But he's just going to live in the world without God. What's that? I'll, I'll live in the physical world, but that's all I'm going to have. Everything that finds me, Yahagini will kill me, not physically. Everything that's going to find me in the world. Bad stuff, things I don't want to be involved in. They're going to destroy my soul. I'll have nothing to, to, to connect to again, God. You're leaving me out by myself. I'll have no one to connect to anymore. What am I going to do? So what does Hashem do? God gave Cain a sign, not a physical sign. What's also called an os? Look back in source number 9. We say it in Kiddush. V'yashamru v'nei Yisrael sa'ashabas la'asot sa'ashabas l'ashom b'yisalam b'nei Yisrael sa'ashabas b'nei u'bein b'nei Yisrael Os Shabbos is the symbol of the relationship between the Kaddish Baruch Hu and the Jewish people. That's why we don't wear tefillin on Shabbos because tefillin is an os, and Shabbos is an os. So I don't need I don't need a tefillin because I have Shabbos. Fine. But the bottom line is, he gave Kayin. Don't worry, Kayin. You're going to have Shabbos. Why? What? How does that make him feel better? All week long, Cain's gonna wander the world. But on Shabbos, Cain will come back to the Rebbeim They get to have a charus again. They get to hang out one day a week. And Cain says, "All right, that I can handle. If you give me one day to come back, then I can live in my world, in the real world, but be able to spend one day with you, God." And that, he says, is what Adam Rishon realizes. What does Adam Rishon say? Ah, that's the power of tshuva. What's tshuva? Why is that tshuva? He says, but Kain already realized now that he needs a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Kain's whole life, without giving a whole share about Kain, was that he, he, he was a man of the, of, the, of, the, of the ground. And he thought he didn't need anybody else. And finally realizes he needs, he needs to be bonus. He comes back to God. God, don't let me go. I actually realize I need you now. Because once Kain shows God that he actually needs him, God says, okay, now I'll help you. Now that you recognize that you need me in your life, I'm ready, I'm ready to, to send you a, a, a life preserver. And that's what Adam Rishon says, the major says, what, is, what does the major say? Adam says, wow, the power of tshuva, a person who recognizes the Kaddish Baruch Hu now. He realizes he needs God, and what does he say? Mizbor Shil Yom That's how the Slumber Rebbe comes to this, because why Mizbor Shil Yom Because Shabbos is that opportunity to connect back. Well, both of these sources, again, these are midrashim. This uh, happened, it didn't happen that way. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. Right? What are Chazal telling us the goal of Shabbos? I'm not asking you, can I, can I pick out the blueberries from the raspberry? That's not, that's not the question. What is the goal of Shabbos? The goal of Shabbos is 
a day to step back and to focus. It's a day to reconnect to, to the things that really matter, right? And, and to focus on the things that I know are real and matter to me and real in life, as opposed to things that really don't matter that much, but we spend our whole week on. Right? That's what Shabbos is really, if you boil it down, that's the purpose of Shabbos. That's the purpose. That's what it's here for. What does the word Shabbos mean? What's the show of the word Shabbos? Shin, Beis, Tuf. Shabbos. Stop. So Shabbos. Shabbos, Suru, many we have in, in, the, in the keynotes means to stop. Right? One is that Shabbos is a day to stop. Hey. What else could Shabbos? What, other, what else could be the show of Shabbos? Return. Yeah. Shuv. Come back. It's a, day, it's a mini chuva. It's a mini chuva. Right? We're not getting into all the points yet, but right, what's the power of, of Yom, take Yom Kippur, the ultimate day of Chuva, right? What do we do on, on Yom Kippur to allow us to focus more on Yom Kippur? What do we not do? We remove everything. We don't eat, we don't drink, we don't, we don't do anything. You can't, there's nothing to do. So what happens? You might as well dive in, right? Because you have nothing else to do. But there we go much more extreme. Eating and drinking and shoes. But you can't even, your physical needs don't even matter, at least for like the first half of the day until you can't handle it anymore. But at the beginning at least, you're like, well, cool, I can't have breakfast anyway. So I guess I'll like, whatever. Right? It, it, it takes away that barrier. It's really also taking away the physical barrier. Right? Because you just can't think about your physical needs. So Shabbos is a very physical day. Right? But it's in a mini way, it says, let's put everything else away for one day. Again, I know I'm talking to you, you all know, what, you know this already, right? But it's a day when you take everything else away so I can just focus on the things that really matter. My relationship with, with God, and we'll talk about other things also, but right, that, that we've seen until now. Just to focus, it's a day to put everything away and to focus. It's like a mini chuva, because that's what chuva is anyways. Chuva isn't I'm a terrible person and I... Chuva is a chance to focus. That's what it is. And the truth is, this I saw, which I never, I never understood this before, and I, and I just heard this the other day, and I thought it was so cool. Look at source number 11. We're going to go back to source number 10 in a second. Um, anybody at the, at the end of Shemona Esrei? Anybody here? At the end of Shemona Esrei, the way, way end. Does anybody say the psukim from your name? Yeah? Why do you do that? Because it says on the article sitter. The article sitter has a, has a thing in the bottom. Some people, I don't know when I started doing it. No one told me to. Certainly, I no rabbi told me to. It says the bottom of the article sitter, the way, 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 end of S, right? That you should say that these psukim, these psukim are in the back of the sitter, right? And it lists, like, every pasuk is the beginning. The, it starts with, the, you know, the pasuk starts with the first letter in your name and ends with the last letter in your name, right? And some people have two psukim. If you're lucky, you have five psukim. I have two psukim, right? So, why do we do that? And why do we say our name? Or say a pasuk about our name? I mean, a lot of people do this. Okay? Look at source number 11. The Ilya Rabbah writes, Ilya Rabbah is a halachic book, Kasev of Yosef, Tov Lomar Pasuk Echa Mina Torah O Minavim O Maksuvin, Kodim Sha'amar Yularatzon. You should say a pasuk from Torah or Navi or Ksuvim before you say the last, last, last line in, in, in Davening. That begins your name and ends your name. That's where this comes from. It's also in the Shla. It's also in some other places also. So why do we do that? So the Shla says like this. The Shla says when you get to the Olam Abba, 
Okay, everyone has a very, very long life. You get to Lamaba. So we know there's a, there's a list of questions that you're supposed to answer. Did you, did you learn Torah every day? Did you, were, you, were, you, were, you, uh, were you honest in business, etc. Et the Shlaw says, the first question is, what's your name? Sounds like the SATs, right? Like, awesome. Like, this is what I can do. Right? Maybe I'm trying to help you. And the Shlaw says, we're going to have a hard time. Because when they're asking you, what's your name, what are they really asking you? Who are you? Right? We know that the power of naming is like you have Ruach HaKodesh when you name a child. I don't know about you guys. It's true. You name a kid, that, sometimes, that kid sometimes it just like hits and that kid has the mida of that name. Um, the, the name of a person is, is representative of who you are. Right? So you're going to go to Shemaim and they, go, they ask you, what's your name? They're asking you, what are you about? Who are you really? And the Shalah says, we're going to have a hard time. So if you want a skula to remember your name, I'm not into schoolas, you know that, but you want a skula to remember your name, you're going to say, ah, Baruch Hashem, I can remember the Pasuk that fits your name, and then I'll be the reminder that will remind, remind you to say your name, right? So you're going to be able to answer with your name. What's the Pshat going to ask you your name? They're going to ask you who you are, what matters to you. You ask you what's your name, and you're going to say, well, like, I went to this school, this undergraduate, and I went there at graduate school, and I got that GPA, and then I started, that was my first job. They're going to be like, no, 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 dude, like, sure nobody cares about that. It doesn't matter. Who are you? What's your name? What are you here for? What are you doing here? That is what Shabbos is about for one out of seven days of the week. It's to figure out our name. To figure out who we are. Take a look at source number 10. Take a look at source number 10. Source number 10 is one of like, you could, I could have pulled you know, 27 different articles that say the same exact thing. But this was from 2015. Campaign reminds families why it's important to eat together. A new social advocacy movement is highlighting the importance of family dinner time. This was going on already 20 years ago. That the commercials on TV, that the family that eats together, stays together. This is something that's going on for a long time. It's still going on, and they're still advocating it, right? The Billion Family Dinners Challenge. It's a real thing. You could check it out. Encourages families to share meals and forge strong connections through face-to-face conversation. The movement is pegged to National Family Meals Month, which presses families it's, uh, to eat one more meal at home per week throughout the month of September. According to a 2013 Gallup poll, only 53% of adults with children under the age of 18 eat dinner at home as a family six or seven nights a week. I thought that's a pretty high number, actually. They said only. I think that's pretty good. I give, give America, like, a, you know, that's, that's pretty good. 53% of families with children that eat six or seven times a week, I think that's very high. I think that number's, I think the number's wrong. I think that's wrong. I think that's not true. Um, you should know the numbers when you have fa- family members, parents working full-time, the numbers go down, right? And I, I'm sure, you know, depending on the socioeconomic brackets, et cetera, the numbers go down also. It could, could be, by the way, that the more the economic bracket goes up, the numbers go down. But the, so maybe I say that people who respond to these have the surveys. Fifty-two percent of them eat together. So, but but be as it may, right? They're still going after this to consider to make it happen more and more. What do they find, right? Um, according to uh, fine, 
the National Family Meals Month website states, and they have all kinds of, of studies there, that kids who regularly eat with their families are more likely to make, to make good grades, have higher self-esteem, and exhibit positive social behaviors. They have stats up there about the, the, the amount of times a week a kid has dinner with their family and the likelihood of them being involved in substance abuse or being involved in drinking or being involved in other kinds of, kind of illegal behavior. It's fascinating to watch. Um, they are also less likely to engage in risky behavior, abuse drugs, or show symptoms of violence and depression. Fine. The point being that if people keep Shabbos, right, have family meals together, there's going to be all kinds of positive repercussions. I mean, you didn't need to come to a shir to hear me tell you that. Right? But it's true. Right? It's true. And Shabbos provides for us um, an opportunity not just to focus on the things that matter to us in terms of me and the Nibbana Shalom. That's definitely true. But it really provides an opportunity which we, which we know, but I don't think that we take advantage of it enough to connect with our families. And I say families, I mean our nuclear family, parents and children. And I, and I, think, not, and I think we don't, and, and, I'm, and I mean spouses, um, in a way that I think that we don't take advantage of it fully enough. Um, the ability, because of Shabbos, to sit and have a conversation with all the devices away is like, you know, I get home like late, Matzah Shabbos, like after shul, and the kids are already like, you know, zoomed into their devices. To get them to put them down just to make Havdalah is impossible. So I force it, right? But it's impossible just to make Havdalah for, like, no, like shut it off and leave it in that room, right? It's so hard. The fact that Shabbos comes and they can't, provides this incredible opportunity for us that I don't think we appreciate. We know about it and we talk about it. I don't think we appreciate the opportunity that stands in front of us as spouses, as parents and kids, as friends also, to have actual conversation. And by the way, not necessarily a conversation. It can just be to spend time, even if we some. People can handle long conversation. That's okay, too. And I think that on... Um, I heard Barry Penner, and Mark Penner said something so... Maybe one of the most important things I've ever anybody say. Um, I mean, seriously. And he said like this. He said, we don't realize that as a parent and as a spouse the greatest commodity that we have to share with others, with our spouse or with our child, the biggest present we can give, the biggest treat we can give, the biggest you know, prize we can give is ourselves, is being there with them. It's all they, it's all they want. That's all they want. That's all our spouse wants. That's all our kids want. Is just to be there with them. And what happens is we come on Friday night and we are so tired. Just want them to like play and like I'll read the Jewish link and then I'll fall asleep and like it's geschmack. It's great. Shabbos is amazing, right? And all the reasons Shabbos is that you also do it, I know. We all read a page to page, right? Where are we? Are we in the front? Are we in the middle? Are we somewhere else? Right? That's what we want to do. And it's totally normal. It's totally normal. I'm talking to you as a person who struggles with this just the same. And it's chaval. Because we could just engage I'm going to give a different share about kids later, but it's all the same. This is, what, this is the meaning for us also. 
if we could just get ourselves together and engage meaningfully with each other for a little bit. Friday night is right now, it's getting a little later, but it's long. Right? Shabbos, Shabbos afternoon now has like become like super short, but either one, we have the time. They can't sit at the table. Little kids can't sit at the table for two hours. That's okay, so eat for 45 minutes and then play games on the floor. They just want us to sit on the floor, some of them, right? It, it's, we don't have to say it Dvar Torah, but you bring a meaningful conversation to the table. I, I learned this, we learned this over Varevna at uh, Shalashudis. It gets a lot of conversation going like wacky halakha questions. They have one in English. You could just talk about something that happened that week. But it's only going to happen if you think about it. If you take the time to prepare for like three minutes, maybe prepare on Thursday, not on Friday because Friday is too busy, to prepare something to talk about, to, prepare, to think about a game to play. Listen to the Torah the kid says. If you want to say a Torah, that's great. But then like, let's ask him a question about it. And like, what does it, ma- what does it mean to you? And again, not every kid can handle those conversations. But some of them can as they get older. And whatever, whatever one of them at their own level. And by the way, if you're just adults at the table, so like, I know it's sometimes embarrassing, but it shouldn't be embarrassing to say like, hey, what do you think about, and put out something that's like more important than you know, which Democratic candidate is gonna you know, come out of the field? Because like, we talk about that all week. And it becomes embarrassing to, to, to do it, but it, I just think it's, it's so meaningful and it's so hard because we're so tired and we just want to sleep and we should sleep. Sleep is also good on Shabbos. And we eat on Shabbos and all those things are good. But what, I guess what I'm trying to get at is if that's the goal of Shabbos, if the goal of Shabbos is to refocus, so then I should spend at least some of Shabbos refocusing on the things that really matter. And in the end of, and, and in the, end of the day, those are going to be the things that our kids remember about Shabbos. Right, the kooky game that we play on Friday night, you know, everyone goes around and says something silly that I, what, just make it fun, who cares if it's even that meaningful, because if it's fun with their parents then it's fun then it matters, and then, and then it's meaningful right and I'll say the same thing because I have to say it because I've said it before, I absolutely believe so, so, so strongly, so strongly at least one Shabbos meal, at least one Shabbos meal per Shabbos should be just a family by themselves. Just a family by themselves. It can't be two, two meals with lots of people and the kids go play in the basement. Why, by the way, why does, how, how many, what percentage of the time do children, and I, I should ask the doctors here, what percentage of the time do kids end up in the, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding, end up in the hospital during the week? And what percentage of the time does it happen on Shabbos? It for sure happens more on Shabbos. Why? Because we want to talk to our friends and they're off like running around, right? I'm not saying it's a real occupational hazard. But I'm just saying, it's like, I find it interesting. How many times have a shop this afternoon, right? Because they're off like, they should play with their friends. I'm not saying they shouldn't play with their friends. But we just like, we just want to hang out and relax. And we should hang out and relax. But we, if, if we can take the time to focus, to realize it's a day for focusing on things that matter. It has tremendous potential. Tremendous potential. And that's true if we have very little children, if we have teenagers, and if, we have adult, if, we, if we're just adults in the house. It doesn't matter. Because we can sit around and we can, we can talk about nonsense at the table, or we can talk about something that matters. 
A Dvar Torah is wonderful, but even if it's not a Dvar Torah, it's just a meaningful conversation. Those things matter. And of course, of course, it affects what we do, how we spend our time on Shabbos. Like, we have very little time to learn during the week. Right? You guys came out to share tonight, right? But we have very little time to learn during the week. So on Shabbos, if we can, steal a few minutes before the nap, or before I go to sleep on Friday night, or whatever it is, Shabbos, sometime when the kids are playing, you steal a few minutes, an English safer or something, just to learn, go to, everyone has different family situations, but to use that time well to learn and also to daven. And also to daven. Davening is hard. Davening is hard during the week because we can't have five seconds where not, our legs aren't buzzing and our heads aren't spinning. And on Shabbos, the buzzes go away for most of us. To, to, so, so then I should use davening in a different way on Shabbos. But all this is the goal, right? All this is the goal. And I, I think... If you think about it that way, now think about the halachos. Isser malacha. Moksa. Kavod and Oneg Shabbos. How I dress on Shabbos. The whole Shabbos. How, how my Shabbos table looks. How my, all, what do those things all do? They, they focus us. This is an important day. It's a day that matters. This is a day that like, there's something to do today. When I put on a kittel on Yom Kippur, right? We dress all in white and I show up like, everybody knows. Our kids know. We know. This is an important day. There's something to get, to get done today. So Shabbos, when I dress like it's Shabbos, it's not because, like, someone said I should, and it's like, you know, I would do it also if I was going to a, to a, to the court, to a courtroom, so I should do it on Shabbos too. That's nice. No, dressing, like, in Shabbos clothes shows that I recognize the day is important. There's something to accomplish today. All of those elements take me towards, right, the Isra Malacha frees me up takes me to that focus. Takes me to that focus. I'll tell you one other piece that I think is also so interesting. Um, Shabbos actually provides within it, and this is true if you have young children and maybe even teenagers, um, and I, so many opportunities to get frustrated and to punish and to become negative. Sit still for Kiddush. Listen nicely. Don't throw the food. Sensual. There's so many things you want to do that you don't want to do. And there's so many chances. Like, I think, as I talked about going to the hospital, how kids, kids ending up in their room. Right? What percentage of times it happen more on Shabbos than happen in other... So that's, that's terrible. And I'm not talking, I'm not lecturing you. I'm lecturing me. Right? The, the amount that we need to let that stuff go on Shabbos to make it simply a positive experience. Because what they will remember in the end of the day is the positivity or the negativity. They for sure won't remember the Zvar Torah, and they for sure won't remember how many words of davening they said. What they can remember is Shabbos is fun in my house. Shabbos is great. Sh- my, you know, my dad never yelled on Shabbos. My kids are not going to say that. But so, hopefully your kids will. Uh, or hopefully my kids will now say it. Right? But Shabbos is just like a time when we had a good time, and like everyone wasn't so stressed out, and no one cared. If like I, I like sat at the table for five minutes, then left, and then came back, like and nobody cared because it was just fun, and then we had candy, and it was great. That's a great thing for our children to feel, and it's a great thing for us to feel because we're so stressed out the whole week. We're not stressed as it is. To keep it positive throughout Shabbos, such a powerful thing. And there's one other way that I think 
that we can impact Shabbos. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be careful to, to give anybody Musr about Erev Shabbos. I have a family, when I was in Yeshiva, in Eretz Yisrael, so there was a family I used to visit. Um, very close friends of my family, who I became very close, I, like we'd go there a lot. <laughs> they would be ready for Shabbos like a half hour before, and literally, they would sit on the couch, everyone in the living room, for a half an hour before Shabbos, calmly in their Shabbos clothes, like, like I, don't, I don't know, like it, like it was Shabbos afternoon, but like, I, like no time ever in my house, right? sitting calmly waiting for Shabbos. I like could not fathom such, yeah? 30 minutes, 18 minutes. Yes, yes, it was way early, it was way early. And I was like, this is, I, that, that's not something I'm ever gonna, maybe when I'm like very old. And it's not something I can never get into. Fine. Erev Shabbos is, is very, very hard. Erev Shabbos is very hard. But I'll t- t- tell you for a second about Matzei Shabbos. Let's talk about Matzei Shabbos. Erev Shabbos is hard. Let's talk, and by the way, if you can do it Erev Shabbos, awesome. That's really hard. Let's talk Matzei Shabbos. Source number 14. Look at this piece from Erev Salvechi. Salvechi tells the following story about growing up as a kid. He says like this. And this touches on a, diff- a bunch of different pieces, but it's, but it's uh, fascinating. Not far from where our family lived, there was a Majitzer Shibol, where I would occasionally go for Shal Shudas. Imagine Rabbi Slovichek would leave, he wouldn't spend Shal Shudas with his father, he would go to the, the Shibol across the street. Okay? The Hasidim would be singing, Hashem again again Hashem I guess they sang a lot. It occurred to me that they weren't singing because they wanted to sing, they were singing because they didn't want to allow the Shabbos to leave. I remember an encounter in the Shibu as a small child. One of the men who had been singing most enthusiastically wearing a kapata consisting, consisting of more holes than material approached me and asked if I recognized him. I told him that I did not. And he introduced himself as Yankel the porter. Yankel the schlepper. Now, shabby clo- uh, now during the week I knew Yankel the porter as someone very ordinary wearing shabby clothes walking around with a rope. I could not imagine that an individual of such regal bearing could be the same person. Yet on Shabbos, he wore a kapata and a strammel. That's because his soul wasn't Yankel, the porter, but Yankel, the prince. Well, after nightfall, I naively asked him, When do we daven Marif? He replied, Do you miss the weekday that much that you can't wait to daven Marif? I thought it was such a, a, like a cute... Like, I wouldn't think of, you know, Rabbi Salavitchik as a person who, like, can't wait to get out on Monte Shabbos to get to the movie theater. Like, I don't know. I think like, he's a pretty, pretty, like, spiritual person, right? We all have that, like, that itch on Monte Shabbos. And I think, and I, we don't have to all keep, like, you know, Rabbeinu Tam until, like, you know. But, like, at least that we shouldn't be, like, chomping at the bit. You know, Shabbos ends nicely. We make Havdalah slow. You know, without, without, not, like, you know, what's up next? Quickly, like, with this, like, you know, I, my, don't get me wrong. The kids, they celebrate the end of Shabbos because they, they're, like, dying to get back on the devices. Right? So they, they, like, they can't handle, like, how many hours left? That's fine. That's what they are. That's how it is for them. So for us, at least, we should try. We should try. You don't have to dive in my if you're in Shabbos. It's okay. You can dive in at the earlier minute. But I'm just saying to, to, that we, in our minds, as we leave Shabbos, we should leave Shabbos with like a little, just a little, like let's just wait a second, like wait a minute, 30 seconds before we like get going. Because the way you end it reflects how we, how we feel about it. And by the way, even if we don't feel it yet, the way we, if we spend the time to, to, 
to end it nice, because I never have been holding myself back, it says something. It says something about the chashivas I give to it, how much I care about it. And, I, and, I, and again, our kids will notice that too. My parents weren't like out of there, like Vladimir, right? Like a little, a little slower, a little slower. And I just think, I, I have, like I said, I, I haven't shown you, I don't think I've said anything tonight that you don't know and that you didn't know ahead of time. But I, I, but I think that, I'll tell you for me personally, just preparing this year has been very meaningful for me because it's just reminding me of these points that I just think are so obvious and, so, and they're so, we all know them to be true. It's just really hard to like muster it up to do it. Just to, you know what, like maybe I will bring up a topic that's meaningful rather than, or maybe I'll say a Dvar Torah for a minute at the table, even with my chaveru. I mean, like, it'll be okay. Like, it'll, maybe someone else will say one too. Or maybe I, I will just like play the game, even though I don't feel like playing the game right now. I just want to sit on the couch. But those moments and those, the times when we put in that extra effort, it shows that we know our name that we know what we're trying to accomplish and we recognize what our, what our real purpose is here on earth and that is to find meaning and, and, and purpose in everything that we do um, and to connect to Hashem the best that we can so uh, you know if we can do any of these things do one of them start, start to put this Shabbos one of these things into practice one I think it would be amazing and you might find I'll try, I'll try to do it too you can let me know how it goes you know if you do one of them and you see it goes well, so maybe the next week we try a different one. And slowly, slowly through, uh, you know, through, through pushing ourselves a little bit and reminding ourselves to focus a little more on what really matters, so then hopefully we'll be a Zoha that we make the day a little more meaningful for ourselves and hopefully for our kids too.